Journalist and commentator Mr. Peter Fitzsimons has released his latest publication. There's been many, and this is called The Opera House. Peter has been, of course, Australia's best selling non fiction writer with his highly successful books Breaker Marad, Mon Ashes, Masterpiece, Kokoda, Ned Kelly, Gallipoli, as well as many notable biographies. Peter, of course, has, an, has a passion to tell Australian stories of great men and women and stirring events in our history, and The Opera House is one of them. Very good afternoon to you, Peter. Afternoon to you, Jenny. I've also done my two favourite books, funnily enough, are both from Western Australia, The Shipwreck of the Batavia. There will never be a better story in the history of the world, and the only one that rivals it is the Catalpa Rescue, which would bring a tear to a glass eye, which was in fact launched by your Premier about four years ago. That's, That's very, very true, Peter, and we're very proud of you for doing, doing that. It's uh, fantastic. Yes, the Batavia holds a lot of interest to a lot of West Australians. Well, and yourself mm. too, so thank you for that. Now, the Opera House, when I first saw your book come through, the information on the book, I thought, what can you write about the Opera House? And I mean, you've obviously mm. look into storylines, and you think there's definitely something in there. Oh, it, look, it's extraordinary. The story of the book goes back to 2015. I read a, an article in the Paris Review about an American writer, David McCulloch, who 50 years ago wrote a book about the Brooklyn Bridge, which has become an iconic book about the stories that go with the creation of an extraordinary thing. And I thought, well, hang on, I, I live over the road from, well, I, I live the other side of the harbour from the Opera House, and every day I drive about four minutes down to the end of the point and I gaze out upon it. And I'm not an architectural person or an engineer engineering person or particularly an artistic person I just look at that thing mm -hmm. and what I I won't use the word because we're going on live radio but I'll rhyme it I wanted to call the book the opera house comma where the ruck did that thing come from <laughs> you know how how did and yeah. it's a serious question 1950s Australia and particularly 1950s Sydney with the greatest respect, was surrounded by a white picket fence, lived on meat and three veg, went to church on Sundays, never took a risk in its life. <laughs> and somehow or other, 16 white fellas, not that there's anything wrong with that, the New South Wales Cabinet looked upon this scale model of the Sydney Opera House like nothing that had ever been built before, not resembling... I mean, the mm. Empire State Building, there was there was various versions of that, Eiffel Tower, they knew it could stand. They looked at the Opera House and they said, 1950, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll build that bastard. And and they did. And against all odds, and that that's the other thing, is it was one thing for the great Danish genius, Jürgen yeah. Utzen, to come up with the design... Uh, you know, quite another to build it. And the engineers, you know, they said, well, how are we going to build it? And they said, what's what's the actual shape of the curves of the opera house? And units and famously got out a plastic ruler, <laughs> bent it and said, that shape. And the answer is, well, that's not good enough, mate. You know, we need to know that this can stand in a one in one in 500-year wind, a one in a 1,000-year wind. At tides, it's got to be able to be strong and they had, Woodson, when he designed it, had no idea. But the stories that go with it, I mean, I just, I just love the stories. If I can tell you my favourite yeah, favorite yes. story, so long as you promise to still buy it. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, you know, it's, you know, he wins. The, well, the... the um, there's, they, they announced this brilliant premier. He was a Labor premier by the name of Joe Carl. Totally forgotten in Sydney, but you go back to what he did. I mean, he's the guy that said, we're going to have an opera house. And when they said, hang on, you're a Labor premier, you, you've, got to, you've got to be building hospitals and schools and roads. He said, this is not, my opera house will not be for women with mink coats <laughs> and for men in bow ties. It will be for washerwomen and waitresses and plumbers and, and unemployed. Everybody, everybody will, will enjoy this opera house. And to a certain extent, 
extent we have. Yeah. But but he he so they launched the competition. There were two hundred and thirty two submissions. They had a four an international panel of four architects. The big one, the big gun. His name was Eero Saarinen, a Finnish American architect, flies in four days after the res, uh, the others have started judging and they say, well, we've we've winnowed the 232 down to 10 and he says, well, let me look at them and he looks through the first 10 and he says, well, it's not them, so what else have you got? So he looks through the others and over <laughs> the next three hours, he pours over them, pushes them up, pulls them over and over and he gets to number 218. He pulls it out and he says, there, oh there, gentlemen, is your opera house. <laughs> Well, no, look, I mean, look, it can't be built. Who, who knows? It looks ridiculous. And he gets them. He goes down to Benelong Point where the Oxford House is subsequently built. He gets them in a dinghy. He rows them off the shore. He turns the dinghy round and then he pulls out a sketch of the Opera House and says, think about it. Yeah, yeah. How would it look? And they did it. And so then, yeah, so, they, so, so... It wins the competition, and Utzon's whole background at that point, he was a brilliant young architect, and he'd entered 18 international competitions, and he'd won seven of them, mm. but none of them had ever been built. And this one, they said, well, not only have you won it, <laughs> but we're going to build it. He said, you what? He said, we're going to build it. So he, was, he, was, he stayed back in Denmark, not far out of Copenhagen, for the next five years with his drafts, drafts people and, and drawing and so forth, and, you know, as it was going on in Sydney with regular visits to Sydney, Although I will say, given I interviewed your Mark McGowan not long ago, and I'm sure he'll like this story, that when Utzon flies into Sydney for the first time, he goes to see, he gets he gets to the Benelong Point, he has a look, he loves it, the cameras are rolling, and he goes to see Joe Carl, Premier Joe Carl, and he says to Premier Joe Carl, oh, look, you know, Mr. Mr. Premier, this is just so wonderful, the Benelong Point, it's everything I ever imagined. However, there is one problem. What's that? He says, the, the problem is that on the western western shoreline of Benelong Point, there are these working wharves with fisher people. It just, we can't have that with the Opera House. <laughs> and Joe Carl says, uh, just a moment, Mr. Ritson, uh, Dorothy, just give me the maritime uh, maritime uh, maritime services on, online too. Uh, yeah, look, this is Joe Carl, Premier Carl. Uh, look, the uh, well, the working wharves on the western uh, shoreline, yeah, they'll have to be moved. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Mr. Ritson. And this is, this is my guy. And the problem is then, Woodson then died for, uh, not Woodson, uh, Carl that died three or four years later. He lost that political base, that political support. But when Woodson then, in 1963, they say to him, well, you've got to come and be on site. So Woodson gets his family, they get in, uh, they get the commercial flight. New South Wales government puts him up the back in economy as we want to do. And he looks in about about two hours out of Sydney. They're at twenty thousand feet. It's very cold, and he sees that the the flight attendants are handing out socks up the front. So he says, "Excuse me, excuse me. Could I could I have socks for my family, please?" No, these are for first class passengers only. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and about an hour later, the flight attendant comes back and she says, "Is your name, Mr. Woodson? Are you the the architect?" He says, "Yes." She says, well, "Radio Sydney has just radioed through with a message <laughs> from the Queen of England. Her Royal Riot Britannia is moored in Circular Quay, and she would like to know if you would like to join her for lunch after we land." And Woodson says, "Well, yes, thank you, thank you." And the flight attendant says, "And would you like some more socks?" <laughs> The power of celebrity, my gosh, that's just fantastic. You know, the the whole thing about the Opera House, you know, obviously it was meant to depict sails, surely being on the ocean like that. Mm. And it, it is beautiful. It's iconic around the world now, isn't it? And it started in 58, didn't it? 
1958. Well, it, the, 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 the sales is a part of it, but the interesting thing is, see, uh, we, I, I'm, I'm in Sydney and we have, I went to Sydney University and there's a famous story about St Paul's College, that is, which was built with an English architect and we, most of it was just transplanted architecture so that in, in the Northern Hemisphere you build your buildings with the windows facing south because that's where the, you know, the sun and the equator, that's where the sun's going to come to light your buildings. Yeah. And St Paul's College was designed by an English architect and it's built with the windows facing south, where it should be facing north. <laughs> and Woodson was, you know, here he is 150 years later, 100 years later, totally different. He was, we will, you architecture is to build in every place what looks like it evolved naturally evolved there so when he when he sees it there's a competition he goes to a chart shop a maritime chart shop in copenhagen buys the chart for sydney and he looks well what grows what what does sydney headlands look like and he came up with there's a particularly famous spot in sydney on south head where the, the gap is and it's a gentle slope gentle curving slope up and in the gentle curving slope up to the gap where tragically people take their lives 13 11 14 yeah. call lifeline um but there the, the in you see in the shapes of the opera house the, those curves mm. that that curve which grows on headlines so it looks like it grows there but there's also an extraordinary indigenous angle that it's known as Benelong point because of Benelong the famous famous man indigenous man who was kidnapped he was he was he and he and he and his partner were kidnapped by he and his friend were kidnapped by prince uh governor philip not long after arriving but he learnt english he he and philip became friends of a fashion they put they built a cottage on benelong point and benelong invited Governor Philip and his senior officer to come down. At which point they performed a corroboree, and it was a it was a blinding flash moment for the for the English officers of Hang on, well, you know, we thought we, we thought that they were primitive. Look at this. They yeah. this is this is sophisticated. They're all doing the movements in the same manner. They're they're chanting the same same tune, same song, yeah. same chant. And it was a moment of performance on that very space, which was the beginning, you'd like to say, is the beginning of enlightenment mm. of... Actually, we're all in this together. Uh, look, it is absolutely beautiful. Everyone knows when they see that building anywhere they are around the world, if it's a photograph, they know that that's home most definitely. Mm. Now, it cost $102 million, Pete, you tell us, and mm. equivalent mm. to today, or 2018, it would have cost $962 million. There was a, quite a few objections at the time about the, the design. That's right, yeah. Yes. Well, the design, see, one of the, there's, a, there's a line that I most love that said it looks like the... the the, the toe clippings from a giant albino dog. <laughs> oh, gosh. For goodness <laughs> sake. There was huge, huge criticism yeah. of it. And, you know, of course, criticism of the expense. And yet, and as you have noted, it has changed the country. Woodson's inspiration was a Swedish architect who designed a building in Stockholm for the early early in the early 1900s which was the theme of it was we don't have to keep building the same way we've mm. been building for the last 400 years we've got new materials new techniques new engineering principles that we understand we can have light we can have warmth we can have insulation we can we can we can welcome the world and not block the world out and yeah. it's credited with changing Stockholm changing 
Yeah. Well, you know, I mean... That was the inspiration. And the Opera House, as you... Sorry, again. Yeah, go on ahead. I'm just saying it was just so far ahead of its time, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, well, this is another theme. You... I remember there's a famous... Is it the Parmelia in... Uh, when I went to... I hitchhiked across country in 1981 and I got to Perth. Yeah. To dig out my long-lost cousins in Dalkeith, <laughs> in Circe Circle in Dalkeith. Oh, it's right. a very posh place, that one. <laughs> they dragged me straight to the shower and said, wash before you come out. <laughs> but what they took me to, is it, was it called the Parmelia Hilton or something? Yes, else? at the Parmelia Hotel on Mill Street in uh, the city. Parmelia Hotel. That's right. Okay, so Sydney had something similar. We had the Hilton Hotel in the 1970s, and we felt pretty damn swish that <laughs> after going to the theatre, we could get apple strudel at 11pm on a weeknight <laughs> and have a cappuccino. Thank you very much. And then this thing called the Regent Hotel came along at the bottom of George Street, Sydney. And when we had the Regent, we forgot about the Hilton. We just said, look at the Regent. That is about as good as it gets. We're a serious global city. We've got the Regent. And here is the truth, Jenny. Mm. Forty years later, the Regent Hotels, it's now called the Four Seasons, it looks as drab <laughs> and as dull as a wet Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> 600 metres away, there is the Sydney Opera House, conceived and built 10 and 20 years earlier, yeah. and it looks as sparkling as a Sunday morning in the year 2525. It is extraordinary. And as you've made reference to, the image of Australia used to be the sheep, mm -hmm. the boomerang, Uluru, Uluru, as rock as it was then. Now it's the um, Opera House. And yeah. Now it's the Opera House. It, yeah. it, and the thing, too, I quote Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, when he went to Oxford College, once famously said, Every day I find it harder and harder to live up to my blue china. <laughs> so he had this blue china on the mantelpiece. If, he, if a man's going to have blue china as fine as that, he'd better <laughs> live a good life. And to a certain extent, Sydney and Australia, we have to live up to that Opera House. Yep, you're right. And we have. If we've got this world-famous performance space. We have to have theatre, we have to have ballet, we have to have, we have, to have drama, the, the equal of the fine space we're putting it in. And yes, there have been problems with acoustics and there have been problems with seating and all the rest, terrible problems. Mm. But I go through them in the book. Do you know who the first person to sing there was? Who? Tell me. Paul Robeson. Oh, and my gosh, really? Great, great American, yes. black American activist. And he was in Sydney and he said, I want to sing for the workers. And he, so he goes down and he, stand, he stands on a 44-gallon drum <laughs> and he lets rip with Old Man River. And there was a young fellow there who was not one of the workers. He was a 16-year-old office worker who heard that Paul Robeson was going to sing. He came down to watch it on his lunch break. His name was Paul Keating. <laughs> My gosh, you do a lot of research. You really do. Well, I've got three researchers. <laughs> One of them in Albany and she's brilliant. Oh, really? That is interesting. Mm. Good on you. Well, look, look, it's still looking absolutely magnificent. We don't even have to say that. Eight million people annually go through there. Uh, mm. 350,000 visitors take a guided tour as well. It is magnificent. You're so lucky to be able to look at that opera house each and every day, Peter. And your book is out now well, and it's doing so well. I love, I love Perth. And I love, remember, I went first, for the, uh, the second time I went to Perth, I went to with Gough Whitlam because I was doing a profile of him. And what's that beautiful, beautiful park? Is it King's Park? It's King's Park, yes, it is lovely. Yeah, yeah. how gorgeous, how gorgeous <laughs> is that? And how Gough long has it been since you've been across to Perth? 
Well, two years, because I love Perth. Oh, two, OK. I wrote the biography of your fine governor, Kim Christian Beasley. Yes, and we I love, love Kim, Beasley. yes. Yeah, yeah. We do. And I love his wife, Susie, too. That's exactly. used to work with Susie at Channel 9 in Perth. Look, we, come back again, won't you? And just keep writing, Peter. You entertain so many people. You don't enter, well, you entertain them, but you sort of give them information about areas and things that have happened in our world and about great people that we would never have known about uh, in any other way. Thank you very much You're for doing what kind. you do. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Peter. Peter Fitzsimons, and it's called the Sydney Opera House. Simple as that. Mm-hmm.